for joining us as we hear an anointed word from Treasure Coast Victory Center. All right, take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. Father, we thank you for your word again tonight. I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the anointing of God in this place. Father, open up the hearts and minds of your people that they may receive revelation knowledge through your word tonight. Holy Spirit, search out their lives, find it, change it, convert it. Make it line up with your thought life and the way that you do things, Father. We want to be kingdom people in thought. We want to be kingdom people in talk. We want to be kingdom people in living our life, Father. So tonight, once again, your word will help us to change, to line up, to understand you more in the kingdom of God more and more. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. We've been talking about healing now for four weeks now. And tonight, I just want to jump into a subject basically because people in this church as they grow and as they hear the word of God basically become disciples basically of the word of God and to be a disciple you have to be able to interpret the word of God and one way that you don't want to do that is by just doing nothing but reading the Old Testament and never the New because it'll mess you up. The New Testament is basically further revelation of the Old Testament. It's better to read the New, study the New, then go back into the Old so you're not all messed up by just reading the Old Testament and trying to figure out what's going on, praise God. So tonight we're going to look at some things that people may read in the Bible, look in the Bible, and, and think that it says something that it does not say. And then we're going to find out what it really says because these same things, people are going to come to you when you say, hey, I, I, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus, I want to lay hands on you. And they're going to go to the Old Testament and hit you with about three scriptures. And then you're going to go, that, 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 that. And we don't want to do that. Praise God. We want to know what we're talking about. So Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you shall eat thereof, what will happen? You shall surely die. So here we see man was put in the garden. He was told by God, Do not eat off that tree, because if you do, what will happen? You will surely die. Now notice what God did not say. God did not say, In the day you eat it, I will kill you. In the day you eat it, I will get mad at you and upset with you. He basically said, Adam, if you make the wrong choice, you will die. Mankind and you on this earth right now, you have a free will whether you like it or not. And that free will that you have is something that you can operate in and you can make the decisions and choices and everything in your life. You are basically responsible for those things. So the free will that you have basically, here he says, if you eat of the tree, you shall die. Now, how many of you know he's talking spiritual death there? Because if he was talking physical death in the day that he ate it, he would have died physically. We know he lived a long time after this, so it was a spiritual death that took place in his life. Adam ate, spiritually died. Notice God did not get mad at Adam and kill him. God did not get mad and judge him by putting spiritual death in him. Adam made a choice, and with that choice, he died spiritually. Because of wrong teaching in the church and shallow teaching and shallow thinking, People basically believe that God is a beat you up God. Some believe that God is a teach you a good lesson. Oh, I'll tell you what, I got ran over by a truck when I was eight and God really taught me a good lesson there. Well, you could learn a lesson without walking out in front of the truck. How many of you know that? God is not a strike you with sickness and punish you with a curse. God, because you stumble, God is a good God and he is good all the time. God is a God of love. The Bible says in James, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. There is no shallow, shadow of turning for him. In other words, the good gifts come from God. 
So here we see in this scripture, Adam ate, he died spiritually. How many know that you are a spirit? You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a physical body. So when he died spiritually, basically his nature was changed. He was separated from God. He was born from life to death. And he became basically a new creature in Satan. In other words, he took on the nature of Satan. That's what spiritual death is. The old nature passed away of faith and love, dominion, glory, joy, and peace. All things became new, which was fear, hate, sin, guilt, condemnation. Basically, he took on the nature of the devil that time. Just like there is the fruit of the spirit, there is also fruit of the spirit of spiritual death. What are those fruits? Sickness and disease, depression, sin, fear, worry are all fruits of the spiritual death that came on the inside of Adam. Spiritual death basically opened the door to the curse sickness, sin, disease, and lack. And when did that happen? In the day that Adam ate from the tree. All right, go up to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shall thou eat of it all the days of your life. Now notice what he says here. He says, because of what Adam did, cursed is the ground for your sake. Who's the your? It's Adam, isn't it? Cursed is the ground for your sake. Notice God, once again, did not say, because you disobeyed me, because you ate off the tree, I curse you, I curse your wife, I curse the ground. He says, because you listened to your wife, because you ate off the tree, cursed is the ground for your sake. Once again, here we see Adam had a choice. He had a free will. How many know that you have choices? You have a free will. Most of the things that people blame on God are basically bad choices with their free will. That's why everybody wants to teach God is in control of everything because it takes all the responsibility off of you and puts it on God. You can talk stupid, you can live stupid, you can act stupid, and it's still God's fault. But the Bible doesn't teach that as far as kingdom of God talks about. It talks about basically about you being in control of your life and you in a position to make choices in your life. How many know that God did not desire the curse in the earth? He did not desire man to be cursed. If he did, he'd say, let us make man cursed. He didn't. He said, let us make man in my image, in my likeness. Let him have dominion on the earth. God did not punish man with a curse. Adam basically opened the door, and when he did, the curse came in. God told Adam how to stay free. He said, simply, don't eat off of the tree, and you will be fine. But through his free will, he ate, and when he did, he opened the door to the curse coming into the earth realm. All right, go to Romans chapter 5. All right, Romans chapter 5, look at verse 12. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all that have sinned. Now notice here, how did sin enter into the world? By one man. How did death, spiritual and physical, enter into the world? 
By one man. How did sin and the curse enter in? By one man. How did spiritual death and all its fruit, sickness, disease, the curse enter into the world? Not by one God, but by one, by one man. Now notice, not only did it enter in, but it then passed upon how many men? All men. So once Adam failed, once he took on the nature, once he allowed the curse and sickness and disease and evil to come into the earth realm, basically that sin, sickness, disease, and curse was passed to all men. So sin and fear and depression and sickness and poverty and disease and death entered into the world, and it entered in by one man. Say one man. One man. Now notice, it passed upon all men. People, the news, and even the church many times blame God for Adam's mistake. People believe that God curses them with sickness, disease, tragedies to help grow them up, to teach them something, to discipline them, that we give God the credit for that stuff. Even the insurance companies call tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, acts of God. I think they ought to read the acts of God, and they wouldn't do that anymore, praise God. But that's what they do. They claim them as acts of God. Verse 12 says, by one man. The curse was never God's will. The curse and sickness are here in this world because of what one man did. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned and ruled from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Here it tells you that spiritual death was now ruling and reigning over every man on the earth because of what Adam did. Now, who was created to rule the earth? Mankind was, wasn't he? But once he sinned, once that happened, once the curse came in, once spiritual death came into him, now death was ruling and reigning over all. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, whose offense was it? Adam's. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Once again, by one man's offense death reigned in this world. The curse ruled over Adam and all his descendants. Now the second part of that verse is the good news. Once you get born again and receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, now at once you reign in life by Jesus Christ. The curse no longer has rule over you once you get born again and come into the kingdom of God. So by one man's offense, death now reigned. The curse ruled over Adam and all mankind, all his descendants. God had created man to rule, to have dominion, never to be ruled by the curse. God gave man a kingdom which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Adam disobeyed when he did sin entered Death entered, sickness entered, the curse entered. Before Adam's sin, sin, death, sickness, the curse were outside of the world. God told Abraham how to keep it out. How did he keep it out? Just don't eat off the tree and there won't be any problem. The curse is not a product of God's anger towards man. The curse came from Adam's disobedience towards God. All right, go to Exodus chapter 15. All right, Exodus 15, look at verse 26. 
And God said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that does what? Healeth thee. Now notice, if you don't read the Bible much, if you're a new believer, if you don't really study the Bible much, this makes it sound here basically like God is saying, I'm not going to put any diseases on you if you do this, like I put on the Egyptians. What does it mean? Is God good? Does God put sickness on people? Does he put disease on people? So here it's talking about the curse, which is not good, which is bad. Now, when you study the Bible, there are in the Old Testament what's called no permissive verbs in the Greek and Hebrew. So if you look at the Knox translation, here's what it says. Never shall these diseases come upon or fall upon you that came upon and fell upon the Egyptians. Another translation says, I will not allow these diseases upon you which I allowed on the Egyptians. Once again, if you're a casual Bible reader, you read these things, and I'll tell you what, when you start teach healing to somebody, they're going to take you to these scriptures. These seem, some people, all they get is the negative scriptures in the Bible. They don't get anything good. They get all the bad things and want to point them out. But notice, God is not a cursor. He is not a punisher. God says, I will not allow. Say, I will, I will. Not, allow. not allow. Now, why did God allow sickness on these people? He left sickness on them because he had no choice but to allow sickness on them. Spiritual death reigned over them. Sin and sickness and the curse had entered into the world. It had a legal right to rule over these people because of one man. Who was that? Adam. It was a spiritual law that took into their life. It's just like in the natural when you have physical laws. You can't jump off a 10-story building, go splat, then blame God. You can't get up and say, well, God allowed me to jump off the building. Well, yeah, he will allow you to do anything. He'll allow you not to shower and stink. He'll allow you to not read the Bible. He will allow you to do anything. God will allow what you allow because you have a free will. And these people were under the curse at that time. And he'd had to allow what was ever ruling over them. Verse 26, if you will hearken to my voice, if you will do what is right, if you will keep his commandments, notice, I will not allow these diseases upon you. In other words, once again, he's giving them a choice, a free will choice just like Adam. God is not saying, do this, do that, or I'm going to put sickness on you. God is saying sin, sickness, disease, the curse is in the world with a legal right to come upon every man. But if you hear and do the word of God, I will be able to override spiritual death, sickness, and disease I will legally be able to protect you from the curse falling on you that entered into the world. Are you following that? So what was he doing? He was offering them basically a plan. And notice what he says. I am the Lord that does what? Heals thee. So God here basically is offering mankind who was under the curse a protection plan. He was offering them an insurance policy. He was offering them an umbrella that will keep the curse from entering into their lives and falling on them. Sickness, disease, worry, fear, all those things. Now, religion taught me that God was the one responsible for me being sick, responsible for me getting in a wreck, responsible for me being broke. Basically, he was the Lord that maketh me sick that teaches me something. He was the Lord that breatheth and 
beateth upon me to keepeth me very humble in my lifestyle. All these things come through religion because they do not understand God and they do not understand the Old Testament. But God says, let's set the record straight. I am the Lord that healeth thee. I've got no union with sin. I've got no union with sickness, spiritual death, the curse, not part of my nature. I have nothing to do with it. People believe, well, I believe God puts sickness on you. Well, if he does, where would he get it? God doesn't have any sickness, does he? He's not sick. I guarantee you the Holy Ghost isn't sick. Now, he could touch you, but everybody he touched was made whole. He could breathe on you, but everybody he breathed on, his disciples, received the Holy Ghost. Well, God allowed me to be sick. God will allow you to rob a bank. He'll allow you basically to commit sin, to live in fear, and live in ignorance. God will allow what you allow because you have a free will. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read it, you're not going to find much revelation at all of the devil. Basically, he was unknown at that time. So everybody in the Old Testament believed that there was one supernatural power, and that was God. So basically, if you were blessed, God did it. If you were prosperous, God did it. If you were sick, God did it. If you were blind, God did it. But then Jesus came, basically in the Gospels, and he spoke of two kingdoms and two powers. All at once he said, you are of your father, the devil. I'm talking about the prince of the power of the year. He is the little G-O-D of this world. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? What was he doing? He was revealing the devil in the New Testament. Why? Because in a short amount of time, the people in the New Testament were going to get born again, rule over the devil, and over the curse with the power of God on the inside of them. They needed to know their enemy and know about the curse in order to rule over it. So Jesus basically started exposing the enemy so that people can later resist him and to cast him out. God was not threatening Israel with sickness if they didn't obey him. God is offering a way out from underneath the curse. God is not in the cursing business. God is in the blessing business. God is not in the sickness business. God is in the healing business. God is a good God, and he's a good God how often? All the time. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, we'll look at verse 1, and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon thee, and they shall overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Now that sounds familiar, don't it? We just read that in the other thing. So notice, once again, if you listen to the word, if you do the word, if you obey me, I am offering you a protection plan, a way out from underneath the curse, a way to live in health. Notice verse 2. If you do this, it says God will bless you. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says no if you do this, all the blessings shall come upon you and shall overtake you. Why is that? Well, because when God created man, he released the blessing. The blessing is here in this world. 
God blessed man, but also now the curse is here in this world through Adam's sin. The choice is basically ours. This is how you live in the blessing. Hear the word, do the word. Now what's that called in the New Testament, hearing and doing the word? Faith. Simply faith. He's saying, if you just walk in faith and believe in me, I'll be able to protect you from these things. In the New Testament, it's the same way. As long as we're walking in faith, know who we are and the power that we have over the curse, we can walk out from underneath the curse and not bother with the curse. All right, look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee, and they shall do what? Overtake you. So here he says, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, you've got no protection plan. If not, it does not say God will curse you. It says the curses shall come upon you, and they shall overtake you. And why is that? Because the blessing is here, and the curse is here, and you will choose to live in the blessing or live in the curse. All right, look at verse 20. I notice these scriptures. And the Lord shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thy hand to unto thee to do, and until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish, because of the wickedness of thy doings, wherefore thou hast forsaken me. Verse 21, The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, until you have consumed thee from off the land, whether thou goest and possess. Verse 27, The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt. Sounds serious, don't it? botch of Egypt and with hemorrhoids and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and an astonishment of the heart. Verse 30, thou shalt betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house and thou shalt not dwell in it. Thou shalt plant a vineyard and thou shalt not gather the grapes of. Now notice how this is worded once again. The Lord's going to smite you with the botch, smite you with the itch. How many of you know if you don't know God and don't know the Bible and somebody refers you, you just got born again, you're reading the Old Testament, you're not so happy about being born again at all. I was just out there doing bad things. Now now I got the itch and the botch and everything else in my life, for God's sakes. This is terrible out here. Hallelujah. He talks about divorce. He talks about debt. He talks about your knees. People think they got the botch and the itch from God. But notice the nature of God is not to smite anyone, not to judge, not to curse. He will not give you the botch in order to teach you something, but the Lord will allow it. Why? Because you are choosing to live in the curse. God once again is telling Israel how to stay free. God told Adam how to live in the blessing before the curse and he failed. He said, don't eat. He ate. Then of course he blamed it on God. He blamed it on the woman and he blamed it on the devil. But how many of you know the devil didn't eat off the tree and God didn't eat off the tree He the one who ate off the tree. God will allow in your life what you choose. Why? He respects your free will that he's given to you. God allows people to die and go to hell. God does not send anybody to hell. They choose hell. Salvation is already here and available for every person. It's up to that person whether they receive it or do not receive it. I just don't believe a loving God can send anybody to hell. He doesn't. He's a loving God, but if you go to hell, it ain't because he sent you there. It's because you made the wrong choice once again. All right, go to Deuteronomy chapter 30.
All right, look at verse 9 and 10. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If, say if. If you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you will turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Once again, here it says God is a God of plenty. Say God is a God of plenty. Hallelujah. He tells us how to live in plenty, tells them how to live in blessing. How should they do that? Hear the word of the Lord, keep the word of the Lord, and turn to the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Look at verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it's not hidden from you, neither is it afar off. It's not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us into heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it? But the word is very nigh unto you. It is in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou may do what? Do it. So here it says the blessing's not far from any person. It wasn't far from them back then. It's not far from you now. The blessing is not far from anywhere. Where is it? It's close to you. What is the key to your blessing? The key is in your mouth and in your heart. It's not far from you. That's where the key is. Look at verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. Now, how many of you know it was their turn to make the choice which one they wanted to do. It wasn't up to God to make the choice in this situation. He said, here you go. You got life over here. You got death over here. You got free of the curse over here. You got the curse over here. Now you're going to have to choose. How many know whatever they choose is what they get? See, we were in, we were in uh, Italy, and we went to a lot of places, and every third place was a gelato place. And you go in there, there's about 25 different flavors of gelato. And I had to choose which gelato I wanted to eat. And, of course, I always chose chocolate because I like chocolate, and I know they couldn't mess it up. <laughs> Other people picked different brands. My wife picked raspberry there. She, she started eating it, and she didn't like it at all. How many know she could not blame the guy who made it? She could not blame the guy behind the counter. She had to blame herself because she's the one who made the choice. Are you following me? To do this. So once again, it's a free will thing, even with God. I set before you today, life, good, death, evil, it's up to you. Now look at verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life or death, blessing or cursing. Now once again, he said it's up to you. It's your free will. Now watch what he does. He tells you to choose life. How many know that's good counsel? Choose life that both you and your seed may live. So notice God's saying, hey, it's not up to me. It's up to you. It's whatever you want to choose with the words of your mouth. You can choose. My godly counsel is to you, life's better. Choose life, praise God. But if you don't choose life, then don't blame me because you are the one who made the choice. All right, go to Numbers 21.
All right, Numbers 21, look at verse 1. It says, And when King Arad, the Canite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoner. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hands, then we will utterly destroy their cities. So here we see a guy by the name of Arad. Basically, what was he doing? He was fighting Israel. He was defeating Israel. So Israel went to God for help. He wanted God to help them destroy the Canaanites. How many know that was God's will in this situation? All right, look at verse 4. And they journeyed from the mountain, and they journeyed from the Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea, a compass the land of Eden, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the what? And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. Now they just came off a great victory. God had delivered them. He had spared them. And a couple days later, say a couple days later, all at once their soul got discouraged. All at once they started mumbling. All at once they started complaining. Notice who they complained against, God and their leader. Say their leader. Hallelujah. If you're going to complain, please do it against God and leave me out of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now notice what it says. And who sent the fiery serpents? The Lord. So in other words, if you read this once again, and you see it, you think, boy, God, he's a mean one. He's a bad one. These people got a little bit upset. Their soul got a little discouraged. Did he help them? No. He sent snakes to them to bite them all over their feet and stuff. What kind of God do I serve? God is love. I love God. Don't send serpents on people and bite people. I just can't believe that. But notice, why did God allow the serpents on these people? Because the people called for them. They murmured. They complained. They were critical. They chose the curse by criticizing their leader and God himself. Now what happens when you murmur? What happens when you complain? What happens? Do you know? Put your finger there. Go to Ecclesiastics. Ecclesiastics 10 give you a little time because nobody goes to Ecclesiastics much. It is in there though. I guarantee it. It's in there. If you've got a regular Bible, it's in there someplace. <laughs> it's on page 869 in my Bible if that helps you at all. <laughs> See, you were close. Alright, chapter 10. Look at verse 8. It says, He that digs a pit shall do what? And whoso breaketh a hedge, what happens? A serpent bites them. So what were they doing? They were breaking the protection plan that God gave them to keep them free of the curse. When they murmured and complained, they broke the hedge. And when they broke the hedge, what happened to them? Serpent bit them. God had nothing to do with the serpents coming to bite them. They were basically allowing it. You're Christians all the time. I'm just like Job. Oh, God's been testing me and teaching me, beating me and... I tell you, if you really read Job, you're going to find out that Job broke the hedge. 
He ran his mouth. He was already outside the protection of God at the time, even when the devil came. And one of his favorite sayings was, what I so grievously feared came upon me. Why was that? He broke a hedge, and when he did, the serpent came in and bit him. Now notice, go back to Numbers. I should add your, oh, you did put your finger there. Good. I see fingers. I'm proud of all of you. Praise God. Y'all get an extra point on your homework if you do it. Now notice, it, God didn't bite them. The serpents bit them. If God wanted them dead, I'll tell you what some people say, well, God just wanted them dead. Well, then why didn't he let Arad kill him in the first place? Why not just wipe them out there, eliminate those next six chapters of the Bible, and you wouldn't have to deal with those things at all. But that wasn't the way it was. They chose the curse. They allowed serpents to come and to bite them. And how did they do it? They had a discouraged soul cause them to complain. Say a discouraged soul. Say it again, a discouraged soul. Now, what can we take from that? Another scripture in 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and even as so what happens when you get a discouraged soul you're not going to prosper you're not going to be in health because it's equal to the soul condition of you at that time so God allowed serpents to come it was not his will but they were murmuring complaining they broke his protection plan down and serpents came and they bit them look at verse 7 therefore the people came to Moses and said we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray unto the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. I mean, you know, if serpents start biting your ankles, you're going to repent pretty fast. You don't have to meditate very long. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, what will happen? They shall live, praise God. So the people repented. They said, get these serpents away from it. My ankles are starting to hurt. Take the fiery serpents away. Now, did God take the fiery serpents away? No, he did not take the fiery serpents away. He said, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. If, say if, if you look upon it, you shall. Well, what if they don't look upon it? What's going to happen? But what if they look upon it? They, and once again, God's out of the equation, isn't he? It's not up to him whether they look upon or whether they didn't look upon. It was entirely up to them. It doesn't say, if you don't look upon it, I'm going to kill you. It says, if you want to get out from the mess you're in, look upon the fiery serpent on the pole. What happened? God once again gave them a way out. He gave them a protection plan, an insurance policy. He gave them a serpent on a pole. Now, why didn't God take the serpents away? Because God cannot choose blessing for you in spite of you choosing the curse. Totally up to you. I don't know why God is allowing this stuff to happen to me. I thought he was a God of love. I just don't know what's going on. What's going on is your mouth is running in the wrong direction. And God can't even help you out in the situations that you are. If God could get people to look at the cross, look at the place where all the blessings were provided, put the blessing in their mouth and in their heart, and take the curse out, they could move back under the protection plan, and once again, they could live free of sickness and disease. When you're dealing with people, even with the curse, a lot of times you cannot just yabba-dabba-do them out of the curse. 
In other words, if they've been living in the curse for quite some time, basically because their mouth is in the wrong direction, wrong believing, wrong understanding, whatever, and you pray for them and you set them free, basically they still have to make the adjustment in their life or they'll have that curse three minutes after you're done because they'll call for it again. And it's in the earth and it has a legal right to come into you. You have authority. You have authority to keep it out, but you've got authority to open the door, let that thing in. So what happens basically when something like that happens? What happens when you get somebody delivered, you walk away and you come back, and you see them two weeks later, you think, my God, they're worse than they were when I started. You know why? Because they're worse than they were when they started. That's why. What's the scripture that goes with that? Put your finger there. Go to Matthew chapter 12. All right, Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Then he says, I will return to my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goes and takes with him, what? Seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Okay, you can go back. Notice, whenever you deliver somebody, get them free, you need to point them towards the Word of God. And don't point them towards the Old Testament. Point them towards the New Testament so they can get some revelation first, praise God. All right, look at verse 9 again. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked the serpent of brass, he lived. So here it is. Look at the blessing, not at the curse. Any man which looked at the serpent on the cross, what happened to him? They lived. Anybody that didn't look at it, what happened? So once again, look at the blessing, not the curse. Focus on the provisions of the cross, not the attack. You can choose life and blessing, or you can choose death and the curse. The kingdom of God is a gospel of offer. It is not a gospel of demand. You've got to get that separated. The kingdom of God is a gospel of offer. In other words, God was offering them things to do to get out from underneath the curse. He was not commanding them to do things, and if they didn't do it, he was going to make sure they got the curse. That's not the way it is. God throughout the whole Testament offers you things. Hey, if you do this, if, if you focus on my word, spend time in my word, keep it before your eyes, keep it in your heart, it will be health to all your flesh. He's not saying if you don't do that, I'm going to make sure you get sick, teach you a good lesson because I commanded you to do that and you didn't do it. No, he's saying, hey, you want to live free your whole life? Then you just do these things and it's an offer. You can either do it or you don't have to do it. He says, before, when you stand praying, I'll tell you what to do. Forgive if you have ought. Why? Because if you know and I'm going to get mad at you and I ain't answering any of your prayers because I don't like you anyway. No, it's spiritual law. You will either do it or you will get the consequences of what you did. See, he's offering all these things. Everything in the New Testament for you is an offer for you. So you can either receive the offer or not. If you do, there's a result. If you don't, there's a result. It's not up to God either way. But God wants you. I mean, when you tell your kid not to run out in the street, that's good advice. And if he runs out there, he made a mistake, didn't he? But you're offering him good advice of how to not get ran over by a car. Sometimes we command our kids instead of an offer, and they take it as a command, and just out of spite, they run out in the middle of the car and get run over anyway. It's not a command. God is not a commanding God. He is an offering God. And when he offers you these things, he does it because he loves you and he cares for you. He's offering you life and death. 
He's offering you the curse or the blessing. He's offering you all these things, and you've got to make your choice which one it is. You can choose peace or not choose peace. You can choose joy or not choose joy. We even sing a song. I choose joy. Let it move you. Let it move you. What is it? I choose. Who's making the choice? It's not up to God. Oh, God, please make me peaceful. No. You make the decision. It's already there. It belongs to you. God, if you do this, there's a result. God, if you don't do this, this is the other result. It's like salvation. You can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. He's been raised from the dead. And what will happen? You'll be saved. That's an offer to him. And if you don't do it, guess what? You don't be saved. But it's not, he says, well, you ain't going to do that? Then I'm going to throw you into hell. God's not that way. But religion has taught us he's that way. And in the back of our minds here, there's those little seeds and weeds in there that need to be pulled out. Sickness hits your body and you're believing God and standing and a day later you don't feel any better and you're thinking, well, I don't know why you don't heal me, God. I don't know what I, what did I do? And then the devil start bringing stuff that you did wrong and that's why God won't heal you or this or that. No, God is offering you once again a way to get out of sickness and out of disease, going to the word, meditating on the word, getting in the word and doing that. It's not a command. God offers you everything that you want and he can supply all your needs, the Bible says. So the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, there are no losers. It only has choosers. Your job is to make the right choice in everything that you do. All right, go to James chapter 1. Oh, this wife that you gave me, you chose her. Oh, this husband you gave me, you chose her. It wasn't up to God. He didn't make that decision. Well, God just gave me this wife just to teach me patience. No, that ain't the reason why he gave you the wife. Praise God. You could probably learn patience, but that's not why he did it. All right, James chapter 1, look at verse 16. We quoted it earlier. First of all, it says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Now, is a curse good? Sickness good? Disease good? Worry good? Fear good? Divorce good? Botch good? Itch good? No. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from? above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness neither any shadow of turning so notice not every curse God's going to put on you sickness every good gift comes from God perfect from above God is in the blessing business but I want to look at verse 16 that's the key notice what it says do not what err my beloved brother now why would it say do not err Come on, why would God put that in? Why would he just said, the Father of lights loves you. He gives you every good gift, this and that. But in some things he says, do not err. That's because most of the people are erring. So he puts it out there in fact for you to do that. Don't err. Don't ever think God's putting sickness on you. Don't ever think the bad things happening in your life are coming from God. I was at a pastor's meeting one time and a pastor stood up. And his brother that week had been out cleaning the pool and a thunderstorm was close. And all at once it came down and lightning struck him. And he fell in the water and he drowned and it killed him. His brother was only like 42 years old. And he got up to testify and testified that, you know, that God loved him so much that he just killed him then to keep him out of trouble that was going in, in the future because he probably would have turned from God. He was on the fence anyway, so God killed him at that time. Then at the funeral, his sister Susie got saved, so God killed him and threw him in the pool to save sister Susie. And my gosh, I was just sitting there saying, how'd you like to be in that congregation? My Lord, come on. 
But that's the way people think because they've got religious mindsets. They've got mindsets that don't know God. They've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, and they've not been in the New Testament enough to know what's going on. But here it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from God. So God is good when? So you can't blame God what goes on in our life. The devil did not make you do it. You are choosing life or death, sickness or health, joy or peace. God says, choose life and blessing because that is the best way to go. Hallelujah. Say, I decide tonight to choose blessing. Every word that comes out of my mouth will be lined up with the word of God. If I make a mistake, I will immediately repent and get right back under my protection policy. I am born again, filled with the Spirit. I have authority over every aspect of the curse. I use my authority. I walk in love. And I stay free in every single area of my life. Choose you this day. Life, death, blessing, curse. I choose life and blessing. Hallelujah. For listening. For more from Treasure Coast Victory Center, visit us at mytcbc.com.